goes out from here this morning for his glory and for his honor. Lord willing, next Sunday I'll go back and I will continue with our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but today I want you to turn with me, and that's why I read Isaiah chapter 45, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're only going to deal with one verse this morning. I've entitled this message, Righteousness, now hear this, Righteousness in Christ Alone. Righteousness in Christ alone. We sing it often. We sang it a few moments ago. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What's our hope built on? Jesus' blood and righteousness. First, ever, and always. Outside of Christ, no sinner. No sinner. No matter how moral are sincere, are dedicated, are religious, are committed, he or she might be. If they do not possess the righteousness of Christ, they are hopeless and undone. Without hope in this world. They might be the kindest, most compassionate people you've ever met in your life. Void of this righteousness, without hope. That's why we read there in Isaiah said, of all God's children, this is truthful of every one of God's elect in every generation, Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness. Not in me. Not he's still working in me to make me what I ought to be. In the Lord have I righteousness and strength in him, in Christ. His blood, his righteousness, so all the seed of Israel be justified. Not over there. Not talking about them people over there still fighting for that little strip of land over there with them Palestinians. Talking about all God's true Israel, both Jew and Gentile, in every kindred, nation, tongue, and people scattered throughout this world. Now, before we can discuss verse 21, because that's what we're going to look at this morning, where he writes, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Think about that. I, do, I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But before we can talk about this statement that Paul makes to these Galatian believers, we need to do something that this religious world will never do. They never do. You know what they won't do? They will not, from the Scriptures, define the grace of God. It's vague, mystical, mysterious, something ethereal, something you feel, some emotion or sentiment that you've had, or something that you went, some experience you've had. Is that what the scriptures teach about the grace of God? Listen to the words recorded concerning the grace of God now by the writer of Acts regarding the Apostle Paul's ministry at Ephesus. And listen to this. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, he was about to leave Ephesus, Paul, he says, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. 
and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. In other words, when I preached in a public forum and from house to house, if I was sitting in your home talking with you, testifying both to the Jew, my natural kinsman, and to the Greeks, what has he taught them? Repentance toward God. It says, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, but literally translated, repentance toward God, even faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the ministry of the, that he's received of the Lord Jesus Christ? To testify. You hear me? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul tells us the ministry received, the ministry that he was charged with by his Lord Jesus Christ was to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That word translated testify, it means to attest or to solemnly affirm. That word translated gospel means good news or glad tidings. And the word translated of the grace means goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. So Paul's ministry, and we might draw this down to ourselves, our ministry, both collectively as Grace Baptist Church in Ruston, Louisiana, and you as I as individual members of this local assembly. Our ministry is to do what? Is to attest to or to solemnly affirm. What do we solemnly affirm? The good news or glad tidings of God's goodwill toward his people. That goodwill and that loving kindness, folks, it's, listen, it's freely given. It's freely given. To each and every one of those he redeemed in time by God the Holy Spirit in regeneration and conversion. Listen to what he said to those at Corinth. Now have, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given. What, what, what is salvation? It's to know the things that are freely given to us of God. So to define the grace of God, the grace of God is what? It's the gospel message concerning the righteousness of God. I've said this for all the years that I've known the gospel. If any person ever stands up in any pulpit anywhere and they do not declare the righteousness of God for his people, the gospel has not been preached. I hear religious people say all the time, well, the gospel was preached. What did he talk about? He talked about how to have a good marriage. That's not the gospel. You hear me? The, ha, ha, having a happy marriage will not help a sinner whose conscience is guilty and defiled and they feel condemned before this God with whom we all have to do. You tell me how to tell him you can have a happy marriage. Spend a whole series of sermons talking about a happy marriage or how to raise your kids or how you ought to give a tithe of everything that you got, 
or how you need to be in church every time the doors are open or else you're going to go to hell if you miss sometime. How's that going to do a sinner any good? Men in my day, in my generation, they want to put people on straight and narrow. You can be as straight and narrow as you could ever possibly be. You don't have this righteousness that we're talking about. You're without hope in this world. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, what the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation. To every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Comes back to this. What makes this gospel of grace so effective? For therein, in the gospel, what's revealed is the righteousness of God made manifest. From faith, from this book, to faith. What? The faith that God gives to his people. As it's written, the just, the righteous, that's what that word just means, the righteous... Not trying to get righteous. Those who are righteous, they live by faith. Faith in what? In a righteousness they had no part in producing. A righteousness they have no part in maintaining. A righteousness produced for them by one, sent of God into this world, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them out from underneath the guilt, penalty, and condemnation of God's law and justice. See, here's the thing. The gospel of the grace of God declares this righteousness of Christ, established by Christ, imputed to God's elect, charged to God's elect, with no conditions. You hear me? No conditions placed on the recipients of God's mercy. Is that clear enough? No condition. Well, I got to believe. Yeah, you do believe, but what do you believe? All your salvation's in Christ. And it, it, it's not my grip on him. It's underneath. If, if, here's the thing. Underneath, what's underneath the, the, the children of God, the everlasting arms. The arm of the Lord holds us up. And you listen to me, those taught of God, those who know themselves to be sinners, that's good news. Matter of fact, it's the best news. To know that my salvation doesn't depend on me in any way, shape, form, or fashion at any time to any degree. But now notice Paul's word. I do not frustrate the grace of God. And you can just substitute the grace of God there. He said, I don't frustrate what Christ did. That's what the grace of God is. It's what Christ accomplished. You imagine that the, the greatest and most active of all God's apostles, and declared and standing dogmatically for the grace of God, declaring to these Galatian believers, I don't frustrate the grace of God. You keep in mind the apostle Paul, he, he was falsely attacked in two completely different directions. From one direction, he was attacked by those who hated the message of full, free, eternal salvation based exclusively on a righteousness the sinner had no part in producing or maintaining. And they told people that Paul was preaching the lie, and I, I've, had, I've been accused of this, was preaching the lie that let us do good, evil, that good may come. And see, it, it, it's like this. 
If you're unregenerate this morning, if you're listening on the table, you're sitting here in front of me this morning. If you hear a man stand up and tell you salvation is full and free, completely accomplished through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are no conditions on you, not your faith, not your morality, not your sincerity, not your church attendance, nothing done by you or nothing done in you. All of it done by Christ for you. The natural mind says what? He's saying it don't matter how I live. Because that's what, that's what comes to people's mind. I always think of it, I always think of uh, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving cartoon. And you know, Charlie Brown, them internet teachers up there at the, at the blackboard, writing on the blackboard, and Charlie Brown will speak, and you'll hear his language, and then she talks back, and it's wah, 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 wah. That's all the unregenerate hears. They hear this. They hear this fullness, this freeness, this completeness, this salvation that's mine. I possess it. I'm a child of God, born into the family of God. A joint heir with Christ. Before I've done anything, they say, well, then it don't matter how we, how we live, what we do. And I, that's the same charge the natural mind places on all those who unapologetically declare salvation by God's free grace through the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Paul didn't even seek to try to deny and he didn't even seek to try to denounce this erroneous charge from these unregenerate minds. It brings against the grace of God. He simply says to them, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. See, that's what, that's what they were accusing Paul of. As a child of God, do you think that's what Paul or Peter or James or John or our Lord was saying? He says this of them whose damnation is just. But then from the other direction, the Judaizers attacked. And those Judaizers, they attacked Paul and his ministry. You know what they did? They tried to portray the apostle Paul as being in agreement with them. He was in agreement with them on this matter of the importance and the necessity of circumcision. that one must be circumcised, and if they're not circumcised, they cannot be saved. But unlike that other attack that was just head-on against the gospel of God's grace, this attack was much more subtle. And you know what they did? They incorporated and they used some of the same words and same language that Paul and the apostle used, but they denied the reality of justification exclusively through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ based on his work. We know that they had tried to paint Paul being in agreement with them because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, we preached on this a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I serve for persecution? Then, if I preach that circumcision is essential for salvation, the offense of the cross is ceased. Because where have we conditioned today? If circumcision makes a difference between life and death, which is more important? 
Therefore, Paul declared to these Galatians who were in danger of going along with these Judaizers on this damnable heresy, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. What was the grace of God? He stated it in verse 19 and 20. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I may live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Here's what his hope was. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul told those at Philippi, if anybody's got anything to boast about, I got more. Circumcised, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Hebrew concerning the righteousness which was required by the law, blameless. But what did he say next? But both things that were profitable to me, what do I count them? I count them loss, that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is by the works of the law, but that righteousness which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, his faithfulness to do everything. Paul states dogmatically, I will not despise, I will not deny, I will not reject, or I will not make void. I will not make void the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of God's elect. I tell you what, this is such a critical life or death issue. Let me state this as clearly as I possibly can. Believers... Justified saints, those born again, those indwelt by the Spirit of God, they will not, and listen, they cannot frustrate the grace of God. Paul wouldn't, and you know what? We won't either. But Paul makes it very clear how these unregenerate sinners, those who were religious and sincere and dedicated, frustrated the grace of God. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, now think about it, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Before the apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, you know what he did? He frustrated the grace of God, did he not? And you know, before the Lord met us and revealed himself to us and in us, you know what we did? We frustrated the grace of God. And we did. Here's the question, How? How did you and I, how did the Apostle Paul, how does any sinner frustrate the grace of God? Here it is. By believing or teaching anything other than complete justification through the obedience unto death of the Lord Jesus The way of salvation is but one way. It's the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. Our Lord said this, he said, accept your righteousness. Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let that thought sink in your mind. Accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Doesn't match, exceeds it. You won't enter in. Listen to me. Morality is not righteousness. Hear this? Morality is not righteousness. Sincerity 
does not equal righteousness. Repentance, you hear me? Repentance, tears of remorse, cannot bring or establish righteousness. And listen to me, even keeping the law, if you could, but you can't, does not result in righteousness. The only righteousness God can, will, and must accept, folks, is a righteousness equal to his own righteousness. And thanks be to God, you know what? Our Lord provided that righteousness where? In the person of his dear Son, our Savior. Listen to this. For Christ, we said this in the Sunday Bible class hour, for Christ is the end. That word, the end, there is the same word that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke one word on the cross when he bowed his head. It, translated into English, it is finished. That's what this word is. Christ is the finishing of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He said to those at Corinth, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, what are we made? We're made the righteousness of God in Him. I think a verse that continually rolls through my mind as a sinner saved by God's grace is David's words in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed, transgression forgiven. Blessed, iniquities covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord, now listen to this, will not impute. That word impute simply means he will not, blessed is that man or that woman to whom God will not charge sin. And then when Paul referenced back to that in Romans chapter 4, he said even as David declared the the blessedness of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness, this is what David meant by his word, blessed is the man to whom God imputeth righteousness, charges righteousness, without works. You hear me? Not condition on me in any way, to any degree, at any time. The prophet Isaiah said, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness... Listen to this. Their righteousness is of me. It's of him. It's not one you touch. It's of him, saith the Lord. He told those Roman believers, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything anything to the charge of God's elect. It's God declares right. It's God that justifies. Who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, also makes intercession for us. But here's the million-dollar question. What's the basis or ground or hope of a righteousness that can justify the ungodly? Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Christ, is preached unto you, sinners. What's preached unto you this morning? The forgiveness of sin. All of them. 
Which ones did he bear in his body on the tree of your sin? The ones up to when you believe? Huh? The ones that you would commit later? Which ones? And by him, all that believe are justified. Here's how many of them. Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. If any sinner seeks justification and righteousness by the law, including the most insignificant thing, which in the case of Galatians was circumcision. In our generation, our day, it'd be a profession of faith, or baptism, or church attendance, or tithing, or what men like to commonly refer to as good works. You know what they've done? They have frustrated the grace of God, representing God's grace as something that's unnecessary. But even worse than that, I mean, I don't think you can get much worse than that. But worse than that, if a justifying righteousness can be attained by the works of the law, or if men can be justified before God by their obedience under law, notice what he says in this text. If righteousness come by the law, Christ is dead in vain. What a thought. Christ, dead in vain. That word in vain means without a cause or for naught or uselessly. Christ died uselessly. Folks, if righteousness come by the law, obedience, performed by the sinner, three things are true. Number one, if, if you can be saved by your obedience, by your morality, by your sincerity, first of all, this would be true. There was no need for Christ coming and living or dying. Huh? If righteousness come by the law, he didn't have to come, he didn't have to live, he didn't have to die. Secondly, if righteousness can be produced by a sinner's obedience to God's law, Christ died without any true reason. He didn't die for any just cause. He's just a martyr, Kenny. Showing us like religious said, Christ set you the example of how you should live. That's not, Christ wasn't just sitting us and setting, sitting, setting, setting us an example. That's my English teacher. I'm used to her sitting over here. I'm going to get used to looking over here. <laughs> Here's the third one. Christ died to bring in a righteousness which could have been established with or without his death. In other words, his blood and his life might have been spared. Matter of fact, God was unjust in killing him, if that's true. He suffered death needlessly. Or to put it as bluntly as I can put it, God killed his only begotten son for no reason whatsoever if righteousness comes by the law. Can, can you imagine, as a justified saint, thinking for one second that God would put his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, son to death for no reason? That's what Paul's saying here. If, if righteousness can be attained any other way, God killed Christ for no reason. I, it comes back to what I said two weeks ago. In that message from Isaiah, I think is where I was at in Isaiah. 
pleased the Lord to bruise him. When our Lord Jesus Christ was in that garden and he prayed, said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That teaches us, you know what? There was no other way. It was absolutely necessary that he die because if there would have been any other way that God could save sinners and be just and holy and righteous in doing so, he would let Christ go. You think he did some sort of masochist to punish his son needlessly? So the conclusion of this whole matter rests in, in the elect sinner's justification based solely on the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can strongly conclude that there is absolutely no possibility of righteousness be established by the law works. Otherwise, Christ would have never died. Our, our justification, our salvation, is accomplished solely by and through Christ's righteousness alone with absolutely, positively, no condition on the sinner or any contribution from the sinner to any degree at any time. Paul said this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many? All of them. What's God's glory? How he can be just and justify the ungodly. And none of us can produce a righteousness that will enable him to be just when he justifies the ungodly. But then he says this, We've all sinned. We've all come short of a righteousness that glorifies and honors God. Being justified, and that word justified means to declare righteous. Being declared righteous freely. Freely. That's without a cause. By His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, perfect satisfaction, through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he, this, it's all about him. He set forth his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. May we, like Paul, seek ever and always to never frustrate the grace of God. Matter of fact, if we're his, like Paul, our dogmatic standing statement would be his. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, Christ died in vain. Where do we point sinners? To Christ and his righteousness, ever and always. May the Lord bless that to our hearts, mind, understanding. Let's stand together and we will dismiss. Appreciate your presence this morning. Pray the Lord's blessings on you as you go. Our separate, we go our separate way. Pray that he'll bring us back together again next Lord's Day. All, if you would, dismiss us, please, sir.